You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 208 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val, actually. Yeah. I mean, I know we had, the fair to middling, we had the fair to middling conversation <laughs> last week, so let's not be doing that again. Um, what's happening? Yeah. Oh, I'm just uh, – do you know what? I'm actually – I'm writing. I'm doing a lot of writing, and that's always a good thing, isn't it? Because I found nice. myself in a bit of a slump last week. I was having one of those days, and um, I put a little post up on Facebook saying, I need cheering up. Tell me the best thing that's happened to you today. And about oh, yes. 200 people came along to tell me what a – what good things that happened to them that day. And it kind of, it's a really good thing to do. It really, it, it turns your mood around. And I decided that the best way for me to get myself out of this slump I was feeling was to do something I really liked. And so I started working on my manuscript. <laughs> oh, which one? And, oh, it's, it's a new kind of um, slightly younger thing that I'm doing. And I just sort of started adding words to that and, and it's good and I'm enjoying it. And sometimes you just have to remember that you like writing for the sake of writing. Like sometimes mm. that is actually just the most important thing for you to, to take stock of. And that's what I did. Um, and I'm feeling a lot, you know, a lot better about it all. Really? Awesome. What about, that's great. What about you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm exhausted. I've just had um, a really big week. It's been crazy and I've got an even bigger week coming up. So uh, I've been to Brisbane. I mm. um, did a full day uh, with a group of people on how to build their profile and mm -hmm. I went to see Kinky Boots. Um, oh, yeah. Which was, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> um, it's always, that was, you know, me taking myself out on a creative date. So that was, that was super fun. It's, I quite, I'm getting quite, um, I'm really enjoying this, literally going out by myself and sitting by myself in, at these concerts or whatever. Mm. Um because I just get 100% immersed in whatever's going on in the performance and it's just uh, I'm just in awe half the time, mm. well, most of the time. So I did that, uh, had a meet-up with um, some of our awesome members of the Freelance Writing Masterclass program in Brisbane and went through some of their stories and also some of their, you know, wins and challenges. So that was fun. And... I have returned to Sydney, but I'm going to Hawaii next week and I need to, in before that, finish this piece of art that I've created because I have to deliver it to the client before I go to Hawaii. So wow. I know now for every waking hour between now and Hawaii or every spare waking hour that when I'm not doing everything else, I will be um, playing with wood. <laughs> wow. 
You are going to be so busy. Oh, do you know what, though? Just totally changing the subject from your very important inspirational and creative work. Um, I went let's – come, let's come back to me. Let's come back to me for a moment, Valerie, okay? That's your creative and important and inspirational work aside, I went on a creative date last week as well Ooh. and I totally forgot to tell you about it and I feel like really? I should because it was actually really quite interesting. I went to see – so in my little town here on the south coast, we, we don't get an awful lot of – I mean, we get some fantastic authors through for, um, mm. you know, for, for library visits. I have to say we, we do extremely well from that perspective. We get a lot of really interesting um, nights at the library talking about books. But we had a really interesting night at the cinema with mm. Ben Elton. <gasps> Actual Ben Elton. I know. What? Actual <laughs> Ben Elton. Came to my small town on the south coast and presented his new film, which is called Three Summers, which he wrote and directed, which I had never heard of until yeah. my friend said to me, "Are you going to this thing tonight?" And I said, "What thing?" I didn't even know it was on. Um, oh. And anyway, I went, and I'm really glad I went because it was on my day when I was feeling a little bit, you know, slumpy, and yeah. um, it perked me up immeasurably. So it's this funny little film about. Um, it's called Three Summers. It's set at a West Australian folk festival over mm. three summers, right? So that mm. for me, so my son, Book Boy, is about to perform at his first, you know, big folk festival. When I say big, it's quite small really, but he's excited. Mm-hmm. Um, he's about to perform at the Kangaroo Valley Folk Festival. So the timing of this thing could not have been better. I'm sitting there oh. and I went with a friend who is a regular at folk festivals. And when the Morris dancers came out, I turned to her and I said, are there going to be Morris dancers uh, on the weekend? And she went, Al, there are going to be Morris dancers. And I was like, oh, what have I let myself in for? But anyway, the film is very funny, um, very funny. It's It reminded me, it's, it's in the sort of same feeling, not the same style or whatever, but the same feeling as like the castle and those mm. kinds of movies. Um, it's the kind of movie that I think Australians will probably take to their hearts in a big way right. um, because it's very – like it's just there's a lot of – he's a – because he's a, an English, you know, from he's from – he calls himself – he's Australian. He's an Australian mm. citizen, et cetera, but he still talks mm. like he's from the north of England somewhere. Um, yeah. So he's very much – like when he, he said, as he explained in his talk, when he first moved out here, he wrote Stark – um, yes. not long after he'd moved here. And it was from an outsider looking in perspective. This yes. he has written more from an insider looking out perspective because he, you know, feels very much a part of the Australian culture. And there are some there are some political messages in it that are very sort of like, you know, he, because that's who he is. He doesn't write anything that doesn't have a real um, message to it. But it's done in such a lovely, funny gorgeous you know sort of it's a little bit twee and it's in as some of those the best of those movies are um yeah but I I've yeah I really enjoyed the experience of watching it very there were parts of it where I was just rolling on the floor it was very funny so that's wow. what I did that's I can't pretty believe I cool. to tell you I, I can't believe he went to your small Edmonton. town does he live near your small town or something no he's from western Australia Mm, He's doing. Why would he it's actually, well, no, I have to say this though. I, it's, I think it's really, really clever. So he's mm. actually visiting a lot of sort of places along the coast. So he's mm. he was in Newcastle, then mm. he was in my small town, then he was in 
I think he went to Canberra because I think um, I saw presenter Sue White talking about him. And then he's obviously making his way down to sort of the eastern seaboard. But I actually think it's a very clever thing to do because he he's going to the kinds of places, I think, if, if you can get a film like that to take off in regional areas, like outside mm. your main centres, then I think it will filter back into the city. I I think that's probably the approach to take with a film like this, and right. I think that that's I think that that's what they're doing. They're marketing because basically it was packed, it was full. In yeah. uh, you know my small town cinema was full, which is you know admittedly not seven thousand seats, but it was probably <laughs> two hundred maybe two hundred people going along enjoying themselves, leaving and going and telling all their friends about it is mm. a is a very effective marketing strategy, and I think yes. that that's what he, I think that's what they're doing. I think that's what they've decided to do, and I think it's very clever. And you go to places where people go, oh, my God, Ben Elton is coming here. Yeah. I must go sort of thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. So there you are. Well, there you go. So were you inspired after your creative day? I was, actually. I was inspired. I was inspired because it was he, – he talked about, you know, he talked about writer's block. He was, you know, obviously the, all the questions mm. you get asked, he got asked about writer's block, and he was just talking about the fact that he – you know, he just does something else and then yeah. goes back to it when he's ready. And he was just talking about, you know, how you have to, if, if you're not, if you if you are a writer, you are someone who will always go back. Um, and if you don't go back, you're not a writer. You know, it was, mm. that's pretty much how straightforward his, his approach to the whole thing was. And, um, and I just, yeah, I found it, it was interesting. I mean, he's a very successful, you know, writer of many, many things. So how can you not be inspired by listening to someone like that, you know? It's, yeah, it was, absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Anyway, I have rambled. I have rambled. No, that's, that's okay. I think that's pretty cool that you got to see Ben Elton. Hmm. Um, but let's move on and give a shout-out to Trees J. That's an interesting name, Trees J, who kindly left us a review on iTunes and said, where have you gals been all my life? Love your pods and working my way through the lot as only discovered you recently. So enjoy so enjoy your hilarious banter and have been so inspired with your tips, advice and author reviews that I've decided to jump in and enroll in a course. Thanks, Al and Val. Wow. Thanks, Trees. Thank you, Trees Jay. That's awesome. You've made my day. That's brilliant. Love that. Um, And uh, we're thrilled that you discovered us. So... um, yeah, awesome. If any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, uh, we'd be really grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Oh, and the other big news oh. of the week, Al. The oh, other what? big news of the week. Well, you know, but we haven't told our awesome listeners yet. And that is we are now, so this podcast so you want to be a writer, in case you were wondering. In case, in you case you're wondering you what you're listening to. to. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. We have been all over the place, haven't we? <laughs> Is now available on Spotify. So for all of those Ooh. Spotify users, if you've got the app on your phone or the desktop app, you can now find So You Want to Be a Writer on Spotify and you can stream straight through Spotify, um, you know, to your computer, to your ear earbuds to your device to your google home to your alexa to your whatever uh and um, i don't even know what half of what you just said (laughs) um to your car my stream spotify in my car so yeah you can find it now on spotify just search for us so you want to be a writer and it's currently you will find us 
you will find us. It's currently one of the top rating podcasts on Spotify. And Spotify, just so you guys know in case you're searching for other podcasts, it's not like iTunes in that iTunes has every single podcast that ever existed in the history of the world. And uh, Spotify curates their podcasts. So um, we are so thrilled to. We are hanging with the cool kids on Spotify. Cool kids, yeah. Who'd have thought? Because we're so cool. Who would have thought? So cool. So not. Okay, so. Can't wait to tell Book Boy. Oh, yeah. Book Boy will know what Spotify is. Yeah, he'll be like, you're so not cool, Mum. Yeah. Let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. I believe you have a link for us from Kids Book Review, Al. I do. Now, the Kids Book Review is a terrific uh, review site of kids' books, surprisingly. Um, (laughs) An Australian, (laughs) I know, um, an Australian uh, site that reviews kids' books. And they do a brilliant job. And as the author Jackie French, there's a lovely quote on there from the author Jackie French, the best books reviewed with insight and charm, but without compromise. And I think that that's, um, they're a very trusted site for the review of children's books because they they do review everything, but they're not sort of, you know, five stars to everything. They really will give you, um, you know, the insight into into the book, which I think is why parents and teachers and librarians and, you know, the whole world trust them as much as they do. Now, they have written a post um, and it's, an, it's, an, it's a different style of post for them. It's an interview post where they have asked the entire team at Kids Book Review, which comprises authors, illustrators, publishers, editors, librarians, freelance writers, teachers, early childhood specialists, mums, and, among other things, complete book nuts, mm-hmm. what makes a great children's book? Now, I think that it's really, if you are writing children's books, whether they be picture books, middle grade, junior fiction, you know, whatever you want to call it, wherever you're at with the whole um, demographic, it's um, it's a great uh, thing to have a look at because they talk about, you know, what makes a good children's book, what should books do for children, what makes mm. a striking illustration, are there too many illustrated chapter books? What makes a great character? You know, all of these questions that they ask, you know, and one of the questions they ask, which I think is terrific, is what do you think of books with morals? Oh, because yeah. I think one of, yeah, I think one of the things that particularly when people first start out writing picture books and things like that, it's all about wanting to give the message, you know, it's yeah. all about, you know, and even even the lesson and even to a degree, I think with, you know, chapter books and middle grade, it's all about, you know, there must be a lesson in this. And I think that it's a really, uh, there's a, a, a great line in here that says morals are great, but they should be as invisible as possible. Um, mm. The overview is that not, they don't love, I mean, an obvious moral or message is is not is not a desirable thing in a children's book because, as Joe says, one of the uh, interview respondents, no one likes being preached at, and that no. includes kids. And I think it's really um, it is one of the big mistakes that you do see with you know people uh, starting out with with writing for children is this notion that they need to be taught lessons the whole way through the book. And I think it's. Um, it is, a, it is a big mistake. It is the kind of mistake that will make a publisher put your manuscript aside, you know, in the first chapter. So yes. I think that's great. Um, and some of the other things that they look at in the story is whether or not traditional story structure is important, whether picture books need strong plot lines, which I think is um, is another area that can be really interesting because there's, you know, there are concept books. Um, there are, you know, depending on what the actual 
you know what your what your goal for the book is it may not mm. necessarily need a point a point b point c you know kind of plot line as it goes through um what what do you think val like what are some of the things that you I know you think that- make a great children's book <laughs> Oh, I think that um, that one is very, very important to echo because I do see manuscripts, well, not so much manuscripts, I get approached by people who say, I want to write a book about X and X is, when they say X, they actually tell me the lesson. So they don't even Uh, tell me what the story is about. I want to write it. They say I want to write a children's book to show that bullying is bad. I want to write a children's book to show about life after divorce or whatever it is. And that's that might be a theme in your book, but uh, you certainly shouldn't be p- pitching your book that way to a publisher. You need to be telling the story that you're going to write. And then you can mention mm. later that these are some of the themes. But I think that those people who set out to write that book with that lesson, it's mm. it, it's it, it it's too heavy-handed. It comes across too much and... As you know, you said no one wants to be preached at, and children know when they're when they're being hit over the head with a particular lesson. They need to come to that conclusion themselves. So that's the important thing is, is that you can have a lesson subtly in there somewhere, but the child, the reader, needs to come to uh, that conclusion themselves. But the other interesting thing that I thought was good in this um, post, which, of course, we will put in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au, is they ask the question, which children's book topics are particularly hot right now? Don't you love that phrase? Hot right now. So hot right now. now. Yeah. (laughs) And there's quite a variety of responses, including diversity, girl power, multiculturalism. Someone has said migrants fleeing their country and their life stories, Um, family, strong girls, emotions, and mental health. Uh, And a lot of people have really echoed females in powerful roles or strong female characters. So Mm. uh, I think that even though that's really important to be aware of, um, and definitely you need to study the trends that are happening in the types of children's books that you're that are around at the time, because it's so easy to think of the children's books that you read, and whether that was you know Ramona the Pest. Or I loved Ramona. Ramona. The Pest. I loved, I loved Ramona. <laughs> Adored Ramona. She yeah, still comes I up a lot, you know. As some, I mean, I know there's a there's a really interesting because we're, we're often told as authors, you know, you, you can't just think about the books that you read as a child, right? You can't just think about the books you read as a child and try to write those because you have to appreciate that publishing has moved on. Children, um, you know, children are not the same. A 10-year-old now is actually not the same as a 10-year-old, you know, 20, 30 years ago. They're not. The the things they know, the things they see, the things that they're actually exposed to, the internet has changed a lot because those kids are way more worldly than kids were 20, 30 years ago, which is not to say, not to say on any level that some of those books that you read as a child don't work beautifully for kids now. And books like Ramona, um, Mm. Judy Bloom books, all of those kinds of things, they, there are timeless books that will just that, that will speak to every single generation. 
because they speak of the it's more about the emotional pull of those books and the characters that every generation will relate to you know it's a really interesting um some of the uh, it, it's it's an interesting kind of thing to look at why some books remain timeless and others disappear within a year um and it's mm. i think it's the those it's that sort of depth of character i mean ramona was just genius really on so many levels um mm. but it's interesting and, and i think that um like one of the the questions in this book uh in the kids book review post is what kind of books do we need more of is what so this is different to what's hot right now this yeah. is this is the, the this is the panel saying what do you think we need to see more of and mm. they're talking about um they, they talk about wordless books because you know literacy is, is taught in many different ways. It's not just about words and story can be shown in many different ways. It's not just about words and learning visual literacy um, yeah. is, is really important. And I think in a world that is so incredibly colored by words, 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 you know, email, social media, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. I think the learning storytelling through visual literacy is, is going to probably become more important because you can see the structure of a book. Yeah through visual literacy. Um, and I think that's important. They talk about well-written tales with strong female characters. They talk about books for middle grade readers, particularly, and this is, this is great for, you know, aspiring children's authors think about these kinds of things. Mm. Well-written tales with strong female characters, books for middle grade readers, particularly boys, children's yeah. books, books with diverse characters. Um, you know, those willing to challenge traditional thinking. There's a whole range of things that, that, the, the panel is going, we need to see more of this stuff. So um, if you are writing for children, if you want yeah. to be published in this area, it's it's always worth keeping up with reading as much as you can about mm. where the gaps are. The yeah, gaps are where definitely. you need to be. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's so important to, because the thing is, let's face it, books cost money. <laughs> and they do. To, I mean, and if you're buying lots and lots in order to keep up, it's, it can add up. So I think it's important if you're in this space to make sure, I know that sounds like so basic, but I know so many people who don't do it is to go to the library. If you go don't want to spend library. all that money in the bookshop, yes, go, go to the library regularly yeah. and carve out X amount of time uh, to basically just research by reading what's, what's hot right now. <laughs> mm. Just take stacks home with you. Go yeah, in and take definitely. everything off the new release. Like I don't know what how your library works, but we have you know a whole shelf of new you know new books this month. Yep. Take them all. Yep. Have a look at what's yep. there, and then go back and have a look at you know ask the librarians which ones which series are the most popular. What are kids borrowing? Where are we up to? And take them home yep. and read them. Um, I read a definitely. lot of children's books. And also, I would suggest making friends with, if you've got a bookseller in your town or your suburb or whatever, and they are, you can, t you just got to spot the one, the person in the bookstore that you know is a reader. Because, you know, mm. you have others, some casual people who are just doing it in their uni holidays or whatever. They may well read, but they don't necessarily have the experience of the one. You, you can just always identify that one who's the book mm. buyer, who really reads mm. a lot, who is just great for recommendations. That's such an underutilised resource, in my opinion, mm. because Absolutely. they see at the coalface every single day what sells. Mm. And they, do. they know that people tell them what they think of, you know, books. So that I think that if you can... 
you know, pop in and, and have a browse and have a chat with that person on a regular basis, you can learn so much about the industry. Um, and it's just a matter of identifying the right person. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to a link that was in Prolifico and it's called A Beginner's Guide to Entering NaNoWriMo 2017. Now, we had, of course, Grant Faulkner on the podcast, who is the executive director of NaNoWriMo, and he gave some great tips about how to get onto NaNoWriMo. And I know that there are a lot of people in the podcast community on Facebook, in the Facebook group, who are embarking on NaNoWriMo and thought that that was a useful episode. Um, and by the way, if you're not in the podcast community in Facebook, make sure you join. It's free to join. Just go to Facebook and search for so you want to be a writer podcast community be great to have you in there it's such an awesome group of people I just love the conversation that's going on in there how about you Al it's just like it's so they're just such I don't know it's just so inspiring to see people so active or proactive about their writing absolutely I just and I really just like the fact that they're all meeting each other I I feel like I feel like I'm a I feel like a benevolent kind of I don't want to say Tinder, but that would be bad. I just, <laughs> I just feel I love watching people. I love watching writers make connections with each other, and yeah, you know, I, I just think it's great because when you're writing and you're on your own all the time, you feel like you're, you just, you know, you feel like you're the only one, and then you find this group of people, and it's so inspiring, and everyone's it doing it, and before you know it, you've written a whole manuscript, and I think it's brilliant. So yeah, yeah you know, talk to each other and, and cheer each other on, and I know also that there are many people in there making connections, um, following each other to share the NaNoWriMo experience. So um, because, I mean, we've talked in the past a lot about accountability and support and all of those kinds of things, and that's one of the things that NaNoWriMo as a whole does give authors, you know, writers across the world. But to have your own sort of little corner of that and your own little group of people around you that you're talking to and sharing with and can then go and, you know, have a chat within the podcast uh, community group as well um, is really a, a great benefit. Don't ever underestimate the importance of having people next to you when you're doing this stuff. It's really um, very makes a, a huge difference to how you get through it. And of course, if you are new to this podcast or new to the world of writing and you're thinking we're talking gibberish when we say NaNoWriMo, it is National Novel Writing Month and it is in November worldwide. But Al, this has this post from Prolifico has some good tips, right? Yes. So it's just a, it's a very straightforward um, sort of a post. It's a, it's really, because I remember when I was first on Twitter, you know, back in the dark ages and I first (laughs) saw NaNoWriMo come up in my feed and I was like, what is that? And I looked at it and I thought, there's no way I can do that. How am I going to get involved in it? It just all seemed very difficult. But in actual Mm. fact, it's really quite easy. And what this post gives you is, you know, how do you get started? How do you make the time to do it? Um, because, you know, you do actually need to set aside some time to get those words down every day. Um, it's about silencing your inner writing critic. And I think this is one of the real gifts of NaNoWriMo. You don't have time to edit. You don't have time for self-doubt. You don't have time for anything except getting words on the page. And you know, there are a lot of critics of NaNoWriMo who go, oh, you know, you end up at the end of it with 50,000 words of gibberish or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel that getting those 50,000 words, whether they be gibberish, they they won't all be gibberish. This is the point. Mm. The point of it is you get your 50,000 words down, um, you have an idea of where your draft is at, and you then can, like at the end of November, in December, you can spend the time 
having a look at where you're really up to, what you need to do next, take out 20,000 words if you need to, whatever you need to do. But the, the joy of it is just that notion of you, you just have to write. It's the only way to get it done. You have to yeah. sit at your computer and you have to just basically write until you get to 1,600 and 47 words or whatever it is that you have to do every day. Um, mm. And it's it's a very – it's a real freedom because you just have to keep telling yourself that you don't have time to edit. And, okay, it might be crap, but it's actually going to be something that you can work on later. And you will never get to the end of a manuscript if you don't at some point give yourself that freedom. You have to give yourself the freedom to make yeah. mistakes. If you don't give yourself the freedom to do that, then it's very, very difficult to get past chapter three. So that I think is the true gift of NaNoWriMo is just that notion of just that frenzy of getting those words down. And I think the last point um, that they make in this Prolifico um, uh, post I think is probably about the most important. The prize is finishing. Now, you can win NaNoWriMo with your 50,000-word draft. You can do that. Um, But I have never won it ever. And I've had, I think, four books published from NaNoWriMo manuscripts. And I think it's the important thing to remember is that you will have more words at the end of November than you had Mm. on November 1. And that is what you're aiming for. You know, aim for the 50,000, do your absolute best, but do not fall in a heap and a puddle and cry if you have a couple of bad days and you realize that there's no way you can make it. Keep going, okay? I mean, I remember one year I finished at, you know, 47,000 or something, 48,000 words, and everyone goes, Al, seriously? Why would you not sit up all night until you got to 50? Because it wasn't the point to me. It's actually not the point. The point is participating, getting words down every day, being involved, watching my little bar chart grow, all of those things. So I think, you know, don't be scared of it. Embrace Mm. it as an opportunity to get some work done. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. All right, let's move on to our next link, which is from a blog called Bloom, Hustle, Grow. And it's called How to Fill Up Your Social Media Schedule. Because it's something that some people uh, struggle with because they think, well, you know, I need, I know I need to build my author platform, but I don't really know what I'm going to tweet about. I don't know what I'm going to put in my Instagram or, or whatever. And I don't know how to, I don't, have the time to go to various platforms. So what do you think is useful about this post, Al? Well, the reason that I thought we should talk about this post is precisely for that reason. So we talk a lot about building your author platform. We talk about the fact that you need to be, um, well, you know, that you need to be sort of there somewhere. And people find it very difficult to be there because they've got a busy lives and they're doing other things. And um, and it can be, um, particularly if you're trying to manage a couple of different platforms, You, everyone's like, I don't have time. It takes up too much time. I can't possibly do that. I don't have enough time, 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 time. Um, <laughs> so I know, see, this is why I hear. I, and the reason I say it like that is because this is what I hear all the time. Um, so I just thought it was important maybe I just thought we could talk a little bit about our own schedule and how we do it, but also just discuss some of the different things that this post talks about, what to put. So first of all, let's start with scheduling. I think, uh, do you say schedule or schedule? I say schedule because I go to school because I went to school. Do you get it? Not just sure. I know what you said. School. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've always been a schedule girl myself, and I also went to school. So I don't know where your theory comes from there, but whatever. (laughs) 
Um, so, but I do switch. So we'll say schedule just to keep okay. everyone happy, right? <laughs> schedule. Right. So um, I use Buffer and I know, Val, you mostly use Buffer as well as yeah. your scheduling tool. So yes. Buffer allows me to load it up um, and list in advance Um Many, many tweets I can use. I can put uh, things ready to go on Facebook. I have just recently added Pinterest and have been have been pinning via Buffer, which is a very interesting experience. Um, it also allows you to do – what else can you do? LinkedIn, Google+. Plus. Google+. I don't Plus. think you can do Instagram, can you, or can you? I don't – no, you can't post to Instagram. But you can That's schedule right. to remind you to post to Instagram. Mm. Is it like later, which I don't does that? Know whether anyway. you can comment or something. Anyway, but you can't post yeah. Instagram yet. So there's various tools you can use. There's Hootsuite. There's what else is there, Val? There's Buffer. There's Hootsuite. There's there's Meet Edgar. Meet Edgar, um, which is also one. And what the difference with between um, what Meet Edgar does that the others don't do is that if you can identify your evergreen posts. So by evergreen, I mean there's no time factor involved. Like for example, if you say here the uh, nine short stories for the month of October, that's not evergreen because it's only relevant for October. Whereas if you wrote a post, um, how to create a likable villain. That's mm. an evergreen post because it's applicable any time of year. So if you can identify your evergreen posts, what Meet Edgar does is it I, it can recognise those and actually push them out, you know, throughout the course of the year, which brings you traffic to that particular post. And it's, it's done automatically so that you don't have to remember, oh, I really should um, ping that post out again. Yes, that's right. So um, a, a scheduling tool just allows you to continually um, – to, to, to sort of, you know, tweet your links, to put them on Facebook, to do whatever, to bring traffic to your website, to have you visible on your platforms when you're not there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's absolutely invaluable uh, for for me, for the Writer Centre, for Val, um, because it's very, very difficult to be on these platforms as often as as you would like to be. So if you use your time instead to schedule stuff out over the next 24 hours, week, month, year, whatever, um, it's a better use of your time than trying to sit on social media for an hour and just be sort of I – mean, which is not to say that you don't need to visit your platforms that actually engage with people. Like this is this is as yes. – this, like this is kind of like ticking away in the background all the time and then you still need to sort of find five minutes here and five minutes there to actually go talk to people. That, so that's a whole other thing. But mm. my my question, I guess, is probably to look at what do you put into that schedule? Is it all just your tweets? Is it all just, you know, stuff that you've had, uh, links that you've had, your blog, you, 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 or is it not? And what this post does is it gives you a great overview on how to fill up a social media schedule to make it actually, you know, a useful tool for you because of course when you talk about um sh- you know sharing content on social media the rule of thumb is sort of 20 percent your content so 20 percent your blogs your posts your whatever and 80 percent curated content that is going to be interested interesting to your audience but comes from other sources um and i think if you have a look at the way that um 
that they've outlined this, like with your content, you're looking at putting up things that are going to be interesting to your audience from your from your um, website. So advice, yeah. expertise, you might want to actually do some promotion. You want to answer some questions. You might want to cross promote your social media so that, you know, like if you're on Twitter, I'm also on Facebook, come see me there, blah, 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 or show yeah. some sort of behind the scenes stuff. And then you need to look at what else are you going to put in there. And one of the things I love about Buffer is that it allows you to follow the RSS feeds of other websites that provide great content that you think is going to be relevant to your audience. And so when you actually, you follow them through Buffer and when you're sitting there thinking, what am I going to put in my social media schedule? You can go to that inbox and there will be all the links, all the links from those particular um, websites with a nice handy little buffer this and all you've got to do is click it add and it will add it to your buffer and so over the next few days that comes out the other thing I use regularly is the um I use chrome as my browser I have a buffer tool in my chrome you know toolbar and if I come across something you know via social media or wherever and I think oh, the Writer Centre audience would love this or Alison Tate's audience would love this or even, you know, book I do Book Boy as well. Even Book Boy <laughs> would, Boy's audience would love this. Then I use that little tool just to buffer it straight away and it just like – um, so it's kind of like a really time-saving thing. I can do it on my phone. I can do it on the on the um, on the computer. I can do it anywhere I am. And so if I'm sort of sitting around waiting for the you know my usual, I'm doing piano lessons at the moment. Um, then I can basically like fill up my buffer while I sit there, and it's done. Yeah, done absolutely. Dusted. Not even thought very, about again. Very efficient. Very efficient. Very. So let's move on to our competition this week. Now, Al, I gave up coffee about two or so years ago and I switched to tea and I've actually loved it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I, I, it's like a great little ritual to make a cup of tea, to have your cup of tea every, you know, mm-hmm. afternoon or whenever it is. Um, and I never really got that with coffee. Coffee was like the pick-me-up that I needed as opposed mm-hmm. to – like a shot in the arm as opposed to a pleasurable experience. But also I love books and reading. So I particularly love this week's competition, which comes to us from the Literary Tea Company. So one lucky winner will receive a literary tea pack, which is valued over $100. Now the pack contains – three lots of 20-cup loose-leaf literary-themed tea, uh, one 550ml glass infuser bottle, one reusable silicon tea bag and a Literary Tea Co. tote bag. So it's such an awesome prize, valued at over $100.00 guaranteed to make sure that you have hours of or many, many, many wonderful tea experiences. And um, it's just such a gorgeous, gorgeous idea. And it's all made in Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, they, it's it's so clever that they have decided to um, theme their teas along with literary Ideas. So you'll get things like Beatrix Potter, loose leaf tea, Charlotte Bronte, loose leaf tea, C.S. Lewis, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Tolkien, Mary Mary Shelley, and so on. And they're just mm-hmm. go- if you go to the website literarytea. 
com, you will see how gorgeous the packaging is. So mm. um, make sure you enter. All you need to do is go to writercenter.com.au slash win and, um, and enter there and you could be one lucky winner. All right. Let's move on to the word of the week. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we seriously you- need sound effects. You used this word before, Al. Extirpate. That's E-X-T-I-R-P-A-T-E. Extirpate. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I haven't. But it sounds kind of unseemly in some way and I don't know why. <laughs> Extirpate. It's kind of making me giggle. I have no idea. <laughs> It means to totally destroy or exterminate or to pull up by the roots. So you might say, if you were so inclined, I've tried so hard to extirpate the moths in my garage. Mm. <laughs> Except you wouldn't, would you? You wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think, you know, I think I laughed because I thought it, it sounds to me like the opposite of constipate. <laughs> is, is that it does. You think it about does. it. It just sounds to me like. <laughs> oh, it so does. Oh no. I've I've ruined it for you now, haven't I? Oh no. Sorry. And, oh, now that's all I'm going to think. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Re- just let's just rewind <laughs> and forget I ever said that. Gosh, Val, what an interesting word. I'm so glad you brought it to our attention. <laughs> You're welcome, Al. We shall move on now. <laughs> now, you know how I am a – I keep talking about content writing and content marketing because I personally um, have seen an explosion in this area in the last five years. Well, a, a huge explosion in the last two years and a slow and gradual build-up in the last five years uh, to the point where now it's literally everywhere. So, And I speak about it um, from time to time on the podcast and I've had people ask me to – kind of expand on it a little bit more and, and what it is and, and how they can ride the wave in a sense. So I mm. thought that we would interview this week, our writer in residence is Kath Walters. Now, Kath Walters, um, I first met her when she was a journalist at BRW, for, so people may remember BRW, which was such a fantastic business magazine. Mm. And um, about a few years ago, Kath started really studying the world of content marketing. And she has a blog that she writes, you know, just all about her observations in content marketing. And she has a book called Sticky Content, Mastering the Delicate Art of Content Marketing. Now, I thought we would have a chat with her. And the thing is that the book is kind of um, uh, aimed at the people who need to do the content marketing. Usually they are the business owners or the companies um, who are looking at other ways to market beyond the traditional ways. And turning to content marketing. But I think it's really useful for writers to pay attention because these people rarely create the content themselves. They engage writers to do it. 
So even though Kath might be talking to the business owners or to companies and so on, that uh, many of our listeners will be in a position like Kath is, you know, who they're, they're writers and they want to get into the world of content marketing. So it's important to understand and get into the heads of the people who are the business owners and the companies because they are ultimately the ones who are going to pay you to do the content marketing. So I have a good old chat with Kath and I hope people find it useful. Let's have a listen to Kath Walters. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kath. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm a lot better now than I was oh, a couple of years ago when uh, uh, you you and I were both in Delhi and we were on a bus to the Taj Mahal and this is a bit gross, but I threw up 37 times oh, and no. you... <laughs> yeah, it was well, that I didn't many. I realise it was that bad. It, actually, it was that many. But you were my saviour, and you gave me a just you know to take back to my hotel room. I think they were like electrolytes or something, and they okay. it felt like you saved my life, and you were my <laughs> angel. So well, I'm so glad I was there for you. I was amazed that I had anything that organised. But there you go. I had my moment. Very impressive, but mm. um. I am holding in my hand. Let's. We're not. I'm not meant to be talking about me. Um, <laughs> you know, being ill. Uh, but I ha- am holding in my hand your book, Sticky Content: Mastering the Delicate Art of Content Marketing. Now, you have many strings to your bow, which I'm going to uncover and unpack as we as we have our chat. But I just wanted to start with your book because mm. content marketing is has exploded. Uh, it in it's you know I've certainly seen it explode in the last couple of years in particular, and Absolutely. certainly building up to the explosion in the couple of years before that. But just for readers who haven't read the book yet, tell us what it's about. Okay, so this book I I left uh, the traditional media after I don't know to, uh, a decade and a half about four years ago, and I had just heard about content marketing, and I thought, oh, this is cool. This is kind of a direction. And I began to blog about it every week. Um, and so this book is really a chronicle of of my um, trying to work out this whole new field. So I just started writing about what I thought was great about it, what I thought was terrible about how it was developing, what I saw its potential as, how, how I, you know, how I thought it should be done, how it could be done. Mm. And um, then I pulled together those, all those blogs into a, a book that I published, um, I think a couple of years ago now, the first book in Australia, I think on the, on the whole, area of content marketing actually it was last year and um yeah and so it, it now forms quite a reasonably coherent sort of um view on how to get a content marketing program up and running really and and do it well okay so first of all can you define content marketing for our listeners Yes. Look, I, I'm, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I think the Content Marketing Institute um, of America, the US one, has quite a good uh, definition and its definition is along the lines of, you know, content that's created for the purpose 
purposes of um, leading to sales, really. So there's a, a direct relationship between the content and the, and the sales process, but it's not sales content. So it's valuable content that we share with an audience in the, with the long-term sort of goal of a commercial outcome, of a commercial success. Yes, but when you're saying it doesn't lead to sales, it's not advertising, it's not copywriting mm-hmm. in the sense of trying to persuade you to buy. Absolutely. Overtly. Uh, well, look, it, I think when it's done well, it's not. <laughs> there's plenty. Yeah. That, yeah, so there's some, you know, that horrible term adverter, advertorial, that sort of yes, idea, yes. half editorial, half advertising. I think that creeps into this a lot. But but my view of content marketing is that it's about creating a community of interest in your ideas and, and your skills and area of expertise and your passions. And then from that community of interest, you will draw people who want to go further with you, who want to develop, you know, want to work on your programs and that sort of thing. But the first thing is to build that community of interest and that trust. And the way that I work best and is is to actually um, offer a lot of fantastic content to them long, long before you ever necessarily meet them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, yeah. of course, this has meant a great opportunity for many freelance writers or, or even non-freelance, you know, for, for many writers out there <laughs> because people have embraced content marketing. But let, I just want to backtrack a bit because, as you said, before you uh, – you know, really pioneered niching in kind of studying content marketing or observing mm. the content marketing space or spe- and specialising in it, you yep. were a traditional journalist. Absolutely. So give us just a little bit of background, uh, you know, a, like a potted history about your life as a journo until four and a half years ago or when you decided to shift a bit. Yeah. So, look, I, I mean, it, I started uh, writing for BRW in 1997, Business Review Weekly, now defunct, which is, a you know, a, an indication of what's happened to that whole area of media. But I began writing for them in 97. I had the incredible fortune of, of writing then for them really for the next 14 years, um, including some other publications and things get syndicated and that sort of thing. Um, I was a business journalist, so I was writing a, first about small business and then I really did marketing and accounting and technology and all sorts of different areas. And, oh, God, it was fun and the Rich 200 and, you know, it was just a lot of fun, um, very interesting, always talking to amazingly interesting people, following, you you know, fortunes uh, rising and falling and, you know, it was, it was, yeah, amazing. And then but in about the last five years of that, I sort of, I felt like, you know, um, I was kind of on borrowed time. <laughs> I felt like I was kind of galloping along and there was, you know, the, the, it was clear that the, you know, that the traditional media industry was in massive trouble. We were writing about it all the time in BRW. It's a pity they didn't take any notice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, and so we we knew, you know, the the rivers of gold, you know, the money from from advertising real estate, from advertising jobs, from advertising classifieds, you know, it was was going. It was being hived off to Mm -hmm. seek and to realestate.com and it was, you know, it, it was yeah, they they just didn't move fast enough, and so traditional media was sort of really struggling to reinvent its business model, and still is. So about um, towards the end of that time, so after fourteen years, 
I actually stepped away and into an online journalism role with um, private media who do smart company and uh, crikey and that sort of thing. And I did a year with a new title they had called Leading Company, which was really great and innovative and and everything, um, but didn't survive after it went for a year and then they they sort of rolled it into Smart Company. But um, but that year was fantastic because I got a huge. Um, I just got utterly immersed in the world of online media and really mm-hmm. it's traditional media gone online. And so yes. I, I just, um, it was fantastic. I learned an absolute amazing amount and it was two weeks before I left. I got a phone call from a, a guy called, um, uh, uh, sorry, Fergus Stoddart up at Edge in, in Sydney and he said, D- you should write something about content marketing. And I said, what's that, you know, <laughs> and that's how it started. So you start exploring content marketing. What? But but the point is, you continued. So what was it about content marketing that captured your interest? Well, I thought this this is fantastic. I mean, it's it's. I saw it as a, a direction for journalism in some ways. A very controversial view because you know yes. people are saying, "Oh my God, you can't mix up those two things." And I said, "Well, hang on, haven't we always been doing this? You know, there's there's always a commercial side to to journalism." Anyway, I wanted to explore that possibility. I saw it as a as a fantastic area to use journalistic skills and I think it is best done when it's done by journalists who really understand the idea of reader benefit, you know, delivering something that reader really needs. Um, And, and, um, you know, and when when it maintains those principles from journalism of separating editorial from advertising. So, you know, on my, on my, um, blog that I send out every week, there's always a couple of little ads on the side saying, you know, would you like to join my program here or have my free um, writing hackathon or, you know, download this free content or, you know, whatever. But mm. it's um, it's not mixed up into, I don't try to say, you know, yeah, this is my idea and if you like this idea, right. come and buy my stuff. It's, you yeah. know, it's just, it's just a little bit more subtle and sensible than that. It respects people's intelligence. Sure. So you start exploring, you say the word exploring, content Mm. marketing. How, what did that actually look like? Did you, were you Mm. reading about it? Were you, did you, at what point did you think I'll try writing it as well? (laughs) So can, yeah. Um, I quickly decided to write a blog. It was so I just started really. <laughs> I um I did some training immediately in in um sort of uh, how to develop a consultation uh, consulting practice, and I started to go out and talk to people. You know, I was just having coffees with people and saying, "Oh, have you heard of content marketing?" And they're like, "No." And so I was trying to explain it. I had some models and that sort of stuff. It was early days, and you know, listening to people's um. Uh, responses. But look, quite early on, I got I got a content marketing um, gig with uh, an architect firm called Hames Charlie, the, you know, among the first, I think, and, and, and certainly still one of the best who are doing content marketing. And they were really open to this idea. And so I got the opportunity to explore it from the practitioner's point of view. But I was also reading all, I was subscribing to blogs, I was subscribing to Anne Handley and I was subscribing mm-hmm. to the Content Marketing Institute and uh, to even, you know, talking to ADMA. And I, I thought, look, I need to 
there needs to be somebody in the Australian market who's a commentator as well as, you know, like I was a practitioner, but mm. I didn't, uh, you know, like I, I felt very able to be an independent commentator. I wasn't an agency. I didn't have a huge kind of, you know, stake in the industry. And, mm. you know, we needed somebody to be talking about whether or not it was working and how the direction it was going in. Because at various points and, and still today, I think it, you know, it, there's a lot of misunderstanding and people get it wrong, just really wrong. Yes. So at what point did you think, okay, I'm going to make a conscious effort to shift from journalism to providing content marketing services? Was it when Fergus suggested that or was it later after you had, you know, explored a bit? Mm. Well, look, to be honest, it was two weeks before I left that role, the online editing role that, mm. uh, that Fergus suggested that story. And I, so I didn't even publish it in that publication. I did research it and I published it in, in BRW, which was still going then. And that is the first story in this book. Um, so that that story is written there. So that was, um, uh, and so, and then I thought, okay, well, I could, I could start a practice in this and I did, you know, I, st I started working in that area. So it was, but it was, you know, it was a, a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. With, with, with content marketing though, when a business engages someone like yourself to mm. write their content, they are, of course, trying to, and that might be in blogs and articles and, um, you know, various types of publications. Mm. And uh, it, obviously the point is to try and be informative and helpful or educational to their mm. market. But it is, of course, different to journalism. Now, here's the thing. When I started noticing your blog and um, about when you're writing, commentating, as you say, about mm. content marketing, I, I remember that because oh, when you were at BRW, I think you were covering mm. at some point the accounting space. With yes, the, was I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's when you first came on my radar because I'm a former accountant. Okay. And, um, and, and I always thought, you know, She's this hard nosed, you know, you know, yeah, died in the <laughs> died in the wool, journo. And so I was really surprised when I started seeing you write about content marketing because I thought, wow, what a, um, you know, uh, how it, it, it just seems so different to the because the, the other hard nosed died in the wool journos that I know are less open to. Mm. Something like content marketing. So when yeah. you shifted and started mm. writing, say, on behalf of businesses, mm. was it difficult or easy or did you have to consciously mm. change the way you approach things? What was that like? It was, look, I, I have to, I, I'll give, I would like to give Haim Charlie a lot of points because they, they didn't really know anything about it and so they were prepared to be educated by me and I got... Um, I got across a lot. They were willing to accept all these controversial ideas that I suggested to them, which were things like, yes, you know, this program's going to cost you quite a lot of money and no, you're not going to have a sort of an immediate, um, you know, obvious 
payback from it. You know, what, what it's going to do is create a community of interest, a bank of, of um, knowledge that your, you know, prospective clients can find on your website. We're going to, you know, be in sending it out to all your current clients, kind of keeping in touch with them, keeping that sense of, you know, nurturing them and that sort of stuff. But these were all very new concepts and, you know, wasn't like sending out some, you know, things saying, um, how about you buy some, you know, Aim Charlie is fantastic, for example. Aim mm. Charlie is an ace, you know, um, and they are, they're very good architects, but, you know, didn't have, it wasn't showcasing their work. It was talking about the problems that their audience had and how to solve them, you know. And that, so they were very, very good. Look, but, you know, and not pointing the finger at them in particular or any of the other clients I had. I had the growth faculty who were also excellent clients. Mm. But there were moments when, um, you know, my journalist thing said we write this and their mm. corporate thing said, no, we don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I I had to listen to their reasons and, mm. and sort of so there were times when I had to sort of say, okay, you know, you're calling the shots. But I, mm. I really think that they, you know, those clients let me be a journalist as, you know, almost to the nth degree but with some constraints, you know. Just occasionally I really ran into, <laughs> you know, uh, a sort of just some area that was too, you know, too it was just too risky for them to go there. But they were very, yeah. they were very experimental and they were fantastic. But I did see that, you know, I, I saw that there was it was going to get difficult yeah. to sort of stay specifically in that area. So to the to you know, after a couple of years. I stopped specifically actually writing for people and then I started to train people in, in what I thought were the, you know, important um, elements of, of content creation. Why did I, you think it was going to be hard to stay in that area? Oh, because there's a lot of pressure mm. to compromise too much, you know. So it's yeah, it's hard because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's because you're Kath. <laughs> it's because I'm Kath and I'm it a is. I'm a little bit of a mm. zealot and yep. sometimes it's hard to hold the line. Yeah. And I needed to feel that I um I could hold the line. So yeah, I, that's, I yeah. I yeah, had a sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> that's okay. In a sense I was a, I was in a dual role. I was training them and implementing them at the same time, implementing yeah. the program. Uh, I wanted to shift more to a training role where I could get my ideas out to a broader role. And that was part of the reason for a broader audience, I mean, have more impact. And that's a key reason for writing the book. I wanted to have a broader impact. Yes. So are you training people in-house to produce their own content in that way? Is that what... I am I'm not so far. No, I tend to run um, public programs. Um, I run a blog boot camp. This is you know, so one of my programs is a thing called a blog boot camp. And what I do there is I help people to brainstorm a year's worth of um, blog topics in four hours. So yep. what I happen what happens is people start blogs and then they stop them because they run out of ideas. Yeah. Um, so I just simply have some really cool hacks that I you know, have discovered yeah. on my <laughs> my travels. And by by building up that bank of content, it tends to mean that people keep going because the underlying 
um, sort of brand promise of content marketing is turning up regularly in a uh, in an inbox every week or fortnight or whatever you choose to do. You know that tells your clients a lot before they even know you. Mm. So with this explosion in content marketing. Um, uh, how does a journalist or freelance writer who's used to writing for hmm. a publication like Fairfax or The Australian or whatever, how do, if they want to do this, how do you think they need to change their approach to writing content hmm. if it's a new thing for them? That's a really good question. And, I, you know, I'd love to do some um, training with journalists around this because I think it's not, you know, we have to do something we're not that good at, which is, we have to do a bit of um, training. We have to do a bit of not persuasion. Look, it's the same thing we did with our editors. You know, it's the same thing we did with the advertising department, you know, when they came along and said, you can't write that because we just bought, you know, we just sold ads to that accounting Mm. firm. (laughs) You know, we have to sort of, we have to make our case, but we just have to be more um, diplomatic about it. So we're not used to sort of having disagreements in a very agreeable way. <laughs> we're used to sort of stamping our foot and just kind of going ahead and being a bit pig-headed. That's all I think is required, you know, to, to we have to be willing, I suppose, to compromise, but we always have. We always yeah. have to have points where we couldn't go. Yes. Yes, that's a that's a great great point. Now mm. there are big businesses and small businesses mm. now who are understanding the need for content marketing. What trends are you seeing in the world of big business versus the trends in small business? Like, do you think that they're approaching it in different ways? Because presumably mm. they must be, because small smaller mm. businesses just simply don't have the budgets that big businesses mm. do. Absolutely, and I mean, if you think of ANZ Blue Notes. Um, mm which I think is a fantastic example of, of content marketing done at the corporate level. You know, it, it's, you know, it's that they take a lot of risks and they have journalists in there who are high level, you know, Andrew Cornell and former yeah. uh, Finn Review journalists and things like that. So they do a very nice job, lovely. Um, but I think, you know, the beauty of content marketing is that as a, as a sole you know, personally, in my own practice, I never want to be a big business. I, I'm happy to be, you know, me and a couple of other people is fine. Um, we can, I can put out a blog every week and build a list of people who are interested in my ideas. Um, I think, you know, just a one, one story, 600 words, it's fine. You know, that's that, and it has a big, powerful impact on people when you generously share your ideas and knowledge with people, you understand their problems and you show you understand them and you help them to solve them. Very powerful. Mm. It's really not that hard. The tricky thing is mm. is getting that content planned out, They're getting the topics mm. planned. It's that is where people struggle. Um, mm. And just, just um, uh, again, understanding the framework around it. Don't try to sell within the blog. You know, mm. just keep it, keep it separate, keep it, you know, keep it nice yeah. <laughs> and, and just sort of, you know, explore an idea. You know, people need a bit of help with the writing structure but not that much. There's a little mm. bit, you know, it's too hard. What are your suggestions for strategies to come up with enough content ideas to come up with a new blog post every week or whatever it is? Look, my key thing is – the place you need to start is your readers. So this is, you know, this is journalism 101, but 
These are sort of um, these are principles from journalism that we are taking out to help other people who have now all become publishers and journalists in a way, or writers at least, bloggers. So first thing is understand your readers. Go where they go. You know, read what they read. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do what they do. Understand them, and then just write about their. You know, write about the problems they have and how you suggest they solve them. So I, I do have some sort of tricks and 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 things like I, I mean I do have there's some sort of um, hacks that I use. One of them is really just to look through look forward through the year. Again, you, this won't be a surprise to you as a journalist, but look forward through the year at at what's coming up. So what are the events that are coming up? Is there a, you know, in, in, in content marketing world, there is actually a thing called content marketing world. There's a, a content marketing um, a conference in Sydney. There's one in Melbourne. There's So, you know, if I, uh, you know, I can actually focus content around there. I can say this, this is coming. This is what they're going to yeah. talk about. I can write about those topics. Or as I've done, I can interview the people they bring out. Joe Paluzzi, who came out from the Content Marketing interview, uh, Institute. So, the calendar itself, the calendar of events that your um, readers will be actually going to, that forms a great basis for the first, you know, the first thing. And you can just do simple reports. So mm. uh, it's not it's not such hard writing as the, the reason blogging is difficult is because it's opinion writing and that's, you know, as you know, it's one of the sort of upper levels of journalism. It's, it's mm. tricky. So we start yes. with Why not? Easy. Start with, start with what, sorry? Reports. Report. Reports. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. report on the conference. What was said? Yeah. Put it down. Yeah. Content. Right. You could go to a conference and have the next six months of content. Yes. That's <laughs> As you true. know. <laughs> so with um if somebody was not an experienced journalist yeah. and they wanted to, you know, they think they, they like this idea, content marketing, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, do what Kath did and write a blog, 600-word blog post every week. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what Do you have any suggestions to, th- to them on, well, how should they structure that kind of blog post? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, very – look, here's my simple sort of formula. <laughs> I've had to think about these things since leaving journalism. It's something like this, you know, you've got to, you've got to make a – put a proposition up, you know, so it might be blogging's easy or blogging's hard or that's my proposition, whatever it is. Yeah. And then I'll say why I think it's important and why I think it's important now. So blogging's not that not that easy, but it's really important that you, you understand this new brand-new marketing um, strategy and and how it can benefit you, and you better get into it now because if you don't, somebody else is going to take your area of expertise. So that's my little introduction. Then I'll make two or three points about it. So you know, um, the reason why it's you know not easy is this, and what you need to do is have some topics planned out. This so, so two or three points, and then I will just really um, restate the main point and benefit. So, you know, so now you got it and then <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you know, that, that is really, I mean, that is a good simple structure. Yeah, Which, great. Yeah. So yeah. Um, if you start there, because um, I always think every article in a way, unless it's a news story, is a proposition explored and then um, resolved. So mm. uh, we, it's a good idea in the, in the points you're making to canvas any kind of criticism. 
So mm. I might say blogging's hard and then I'll say, look, some people might say blogging's easy and this is why I think that's not correct. This is who might say that. This is why I think it's not true for you, this audience. And then, yeah, so, yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, it's a nice simple formula to start with. Yeah, it's great. So where do you see the future of content marketing? And, of course, that's in a ridiculously broad statement. So <laughs> yeah. um, where, uh, perhaps we can put it in context for writers in terms of yep. their, the opportunities that might be available to them. Where do you see the future mm. for them? I would really suggest that um, – that you need a dual program and one of them is you, you need to have a blogging program and you need to have an actual published book. I think pub, you've published a book. It's incredibly powerful. Um, it, it sort of it establishes your authority in a way that it, blog posts even don't. Even if you self-publish and hand it out, you do a reasonably nice job. You don't even have to sell it really. You give it to prospects um, and it, it, it really establishes your authority. And then from that book you can then continue to blog for the next couple of years. You can pick up ideas that you've written um, in, the, in the, the book and then so this is a very comprehensive way of, of really positioning yourself um, as an authority and, and, and the unique elements of your approach because I don't think people sort of – everything's commoditized. Everyone can do – you know, you can find a content marketing expert everywhere. What you want to know is what's different about Kath Walters and that is just really just to do with who I am, my personality, my background, you know, my approach. So people buy approach more yeah. than actual skills these days and it's just such a great way to to communicate your your values your approach your personality mm. you know it's it's really effective so that approach of um having a book and blogging regularly that actually applies whether you're a writer or not that applies to anyone who wants to be an authority in their space whether that's Absolutely. an an authority in you know content marketing or as an authority in back pain or as an authority in um you know boat building or or whatever so definitely i definitely agree with that as a fantastic approach if you want to build yourself up as an authority what about um where do you see opportunities for freelance writers to get work okay. in the world of content marketing. Mm, mm, fantastic. Well, look, I mean, for, for freelance writers, we've probably got to do a little bit of mindset work. So you need to do a bit of education because we're not, you know, I'm, I'm not the journalist I was. Mm. I'm not, you know, I've had to accept that I'm in a different field and that sort of stuff. So we've probably got a little bit of work to, you know, sort of decide where you want to fit in. And what you're prepared to do and what you're not prepared to do and that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and then I think um, the op there's so much opportunity now for writers and the opportunities are mm. to write. So you're going to get Buckley's if you're writing journalism and you're going to do quite well if you're writing um, content for, you know, somebody like uh, Blue Notes. Very good. Mm. Um, yeah. So you get a chance to do good quality work and then pays quite well. Um, so there's there's the, the writing work. So there's so much writing work now for journalists that they're willing to do and, yep. and then to be able to com communicate um, what it is that, that the principles of good content, you know, they have mm. to be able to say that. But, you know, train, train people. We, everybody needs to know our skills now. Coach mm. people. 
mentor people. That's what I do. I mentor them to write books. And, you know, people need to understand how to write now. They have to. Writing is everywhere, as Anne Handley, the American author, says. Everybody writes. And so we have suddenly we are, you know, we are actually a, um, a group whose skills need are needed by the rest, either, you know, done for you, either bought and, you know, yep. do the writing or show, show people how to do it. They, they don't know. They don't know what, you, what we know, you know, and they need to know it. And we just have to learn to unpack it a little bit. That's what I've had to learn and, and communicate it simply. Awesome. All right. So, yeah, the future is bright then, but potentially in some non-traditional avenues. All yeah, right. I and mean, God, let's hope we always have journalists. Yes, <laughs> of course. Journalists. Yeah. And yeah. how about for Kath? So where what's next for you? Hmm. So I am really um, – I work one-on-one at the moment with people in my 90-day book program. So this is a 90-day program to write a, a 25,000 to 45,000-word book um, that people are really proud of, you know, they're proud to share with the world. Uh, I'm doing that one-on-one. I want to develop that into a, a sort of one-on, one-on-one but online so I can open my market up a little bit to people around Australia, perhaps around the world, and then I'll be doing – hopefully developing that into a more of a one-to-many so um, able to then, you know, automate more of it and bring it more online and then grow it out that way. So, yeah, hoping to take over the world if that's possible, Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) Are Are you doing much writing these days? Lots. I spend lots of time writing. Um, I suppose I I write my own work all the time and I – in a way, I've had quite recently to get, you know, to really sort of put my foot down and say, no, I'm not doing I don't do the editing and stuff anymore. I used to do the editing for my, for my, uh, I work with partner editors who are very, very good. Um, but yeah, no, I'm always writing. I'm helping people to write their work. I'm showing them how to write. I'm showing them what makes the difference, um, usually by doing it for them and then, you know, saying, well, this is what I've done. So yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm almost having to consciously make myself stop because it's mm-hmm. such a playground for me. wonderful okay and on that note thank you so much for your time today Kath thank you very much lovely to talk to you again this podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre a world leader in writing courses if you want to be a freelance writer our five week course in magazine and newspaper writing stage one is the fastest way to get there step by step you'll explore how to get story ideas how to approach editors how to research and structure your articles plus interviewing skills industry expectations and much more You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your very own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash magazine. All right, there you go. Kath Walters on content marketing and content writing. Oh, that's just, I mean, and some great insights there. Like it's definitely the way of the future, I think, and I think it's worth thinking about.
Definitely. And I have met people in, you know, lately where that's all they do. They only write content and they make a very healthy and lucrative income only dedicated to writing content because then they found themselves doing this just because of the demand that people are just coming to them for it. Anyway. We have gone on for long enough. Thank you for those of oh, you really who are still listening. <laughs> just like to apologise. Apparently, I am maybe I'm extirpated this morning with my with my verbal. <laughs> okay, that's it. We've oh, really sunk no. low. It's no. been lovely, everyone. Okay. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> Where do we find you online now? Oh, if you really want to after today's episode, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram at Writer. What about you, Val? Where do we find you? <laughs> you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, make sure that you connect with us in the podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a writer podcast community and request to join we'd love to have you in there you'll of course find the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time bye thanks for listening to so you want to be a writer you'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources giveaways competitions and much more